This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Hi, I'm Veronica Dagger, and this is the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women, the podcast where women share how they tackle career, money, and the world. Today, we're speaking with former supermodel and businesswoman Kathy Ireland. Kathy started her career when she was just a teenager and was one of the supermodels of the 1980s and 90s. But in 1993, she began transitioning out of the fashion industry and reinvented herself as a successful entrepreneur. Today, her company, Kathy Ireland Worldwide, is estimated to have annual sales of more than $2 billion. But Kathy hasn't just written the book on branding. She's also written a number of actual books. And now she's out with her first novel, Fashion Jungle. It's based in part on some of her own experiences in the fashion industry, including sexual harassment. And she's here to talk to us about all of it. Thank you for joining us, Kathy. Thanks for coming to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Veronica. It's wonderful to be with you. So most people think that the fashion industry is glamorous, right? But your new book, The Fashion Jungle, is about the darker side of the business. So would you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, the book, it, it is a novel, and it tells a story of four women, and they become... Uh, sisters, but but a tribe. They're really a, a tribe of girls that come together. And it's their journeys. They each come from different backgrounds. And we follow them and they, you know, lots of mistakes along the way. It It's a cautionary tale. There's romance. It's a thriller. There's political intrigue. And it also... Rachel Van Dyke, and she is a New York Times number one best-selling author, and she's amazing. Uh, if not for her, I wouldn't have shared these stories. But uh, it, our hope is that readers will take away the importance of understanding your value and putting boundaries in place to protect those those values. It's been a while since you've been in the industry. So what made you decide to write about this now? I never planned on it, but when I met Rachel, I met Rachel through a colleague, and we just got to talking, and I was sharing stories from 40 years ago here in New York City, and as I was sharing with Rachel, started weeping, and, and I became angry at points, and I, I recognized that uh, many people, they view the fashion industry, they see the retouched image, the glossy magazine covers, but they don't see what happens behind the scenes. And I frequently have young women and, and young men come to me. I want to be a model. I want to work in the industry. I'm always feeling like the killjoy, telling them what they need to watch out for and be careful of and protect themselves and everything. So it's it's a cautionary tale. So the trial of producer Harvey Weinstein is going on in New York City right now. And several actresses reported sexual harassment and abuse in the movie industry. So based on what you said and what we've heard about other industries, how prevalent is it in the fashion industry? It's very prevalent in the fashion industry. And uh, I mean, the things that that my generation experienced long before the Me Too movement, uh, every time 
there is an accusation, there is a predator, and there is a victim. We don't know who's who until all the facts and the truth comes out. And I've experienced it both ways. There's a lot of vulnerabilities. And in the fashion industry, I think because we see this in sports as well, when we're dealing with young people, the potential to earn a lot of money, power, there are people who will exploit, seek to exploit. Mm. So did Me Too change anything about the way you wrote the book? No, not really, because, I, I mean, back then, th- things I would have done differently. Back then, I, I just dealt with situations as they arose. There was an incident where a photographer pushed that line with me, so I ended up slugging him and walking out. And I encourage people to not be afraid to walk away, walk off a job, know what you're willing to be fired for, and uh don't don't compromise your values. Figure out what your values are and put boundaries in place to protect them. There were times I I reported incidents of photographers. Today, what I would have done differently, instead of going to an agent, I would have gone to the police. I didn't recognize that what a lot of these guys were doing was against the law because they were dealing with children. So um, it's uh, it's something that we need to have our eyes open to. So with this book, you decided to make it a fiction book. Is there a reason you decided not to pursue the uh, nonfiction route with the book? You know, it was it was really out of meeting Rachel. And this is the genre that Rachel serves. And something that I did like about it is that many people who read romance novels might look at the fashion industry with fantasy, mm. with just rose-colored lenses. And... I think this is an audience that might not necessarily get the needed messages. And the exploitation that we're talking about, which includes everything from child rape to human trafficking, Mm. it goes on in every sector of business, wherever people, and life. So it's something people need to be alert to. What changes do you think the industry needs to make to make it safer for women? Alertness for one. Uh, I think there there are some uh, organizations that are coming together to support models in particular, and that's fantastic. Um, I, I serve on the boards of the NFL PI and the WNBPA Players Advocates, and how great to have a band of advocates to to be there for you. And it's like, oh my goodness, if the modeling industry had something like this when I was working, it would have been really helpful. Coming up, Kathy explains how she went from supermodel to super mogul and built a business empire. Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. So you're out with this novel, but you're more known today as a business mogul. So let's talk a bit about the beginning of the that period in your life. So in the 80s and 90s, you were one of the most famous supermodels in the world, appearing in 13 consecutive Sports Illustrated issues. But in the early 90s, you started to transition out of modeling. How come? 
Well, it's a short-term career, and uh, I, I knew that it, it wasn't wise for me to continue to get my paycheck based on how someone else perceived that I looked. And I tried and failed many businesses. So what were some of the businesses that you tried and failed? Well, one of them was uh, beer making. Somebody gave me a, a book. I'm not a good cook. So when the first batch uh, ended up tasting pretty good, I I got carried away with myself. I thought I was going to put all those big brewers out of business. Next batch tasted like a science project, (laughs) very humbling. Uh, Two years of research, and I recognized I didn't have a passion for beer. And you have to have a passion for what you're doing because when you're starting a business, you pour your heart and soul into it. And so you've got to love it. Otherwise, you're not going to stick it out on the hard days. There were other businesses, um, and it just wasn't necessarily right. So I saved my money from the modeling days. People used to tease me. They said I was cheap. I prefer to think of it as fiscally frugal. <laughs> but uh, I was saving for to invest in people, a team. I love sports, and I like the idea of bringing an inclusive group of people together with different backgrounds. But when it comes to what's really important, our core values were on the same page. And so this little team, when I, in 93, when I was offered to model a pair of socks, said, uh, no, thank you. I think I've got to, I've had enough of, of this business for now, but I'd like to go into business with you. I like the people, John and Marilyn Moretz out of North Carolina. We began our deep dive um, home-based inspections. We just, you know, we checked out those socks. We did uh, testing on them and surprise factory inspections because you learn a lot when you show up unexpectedly. Anybody can clean up if they know you're coming. My dad worked in labor relations, so how people are treated was always at the forefront of my mind. And uh, it's just, it's about great people. And John Carrasco, our global genius creative director. We've we've been together for 30 years. You were in this box almost, right? The supermodel box. And you wanted to change your how people viewed you. How did you get people to take you seriously? Because I'm sure there were some people who said, oh, she's a model, not a businesswoman. Yes. And I knew that what I wanted to build, I didn't want it to be dependent upon any little smidgen of celebrity that I might have had way back when. I knew that wouldn't be lasting. I wanted to build a real brand. And that is really why I wanted to start with socks, because it was so basic. When people were saying, well, that's really stupid to start with socks. You should break into retail with swimwear. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't looking to break in, but really building a foundation. And socks seemed like a great place to start. If women embrace something as basic as a sock, that would tell us that we had the foundation of of a good business. But there were people who doubted your ability to succeed, as I recall reading in your stories. People said, you know, stick to modeling. Don't worry, you're pretty head about this. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So how did you you cope with that? You know, one of the greatest gifts of my long-ago modeling career was all the rejection. And I didn't appreciate it at the time. But my goodness, what a gift, especially in the world of business. When uh, we banged on the doors, we John and I loaded up our backpacks, presenting our socks to retailers. Doors slammed in our faces, and we heard everything from laughter to, you know, you can't start a brand with a pair of socks. It's never been done. And no, to me, just meant, well, at least we're talking. You know, mm. I'll come back tomorrow. Maybe your circumstances will have changed or maybe you'll be in a better mood. <laughs> and I do encourage people when I talk with people who are starting businesses and they're getting rejection. 
and I tell our team, if we're not getting rejection regularly, we're not trying hard enough. I mean, we need to always grow. If we're not growing, we're stagnating. And I encourage people when they when they're starting a business, they're getting blocked. Go back. Maybe maybe not every day like I did, but that might have been a little stocky. But <laughs> <laughs> put it in your calendar six months to go back because maybe they will be in a better mood. Maybe their circumstances will have changed. Maybe the person who rejected you will no longer be empowered. So if you believe in it, but you have to understand why are you going to that person before we. Um, seek to make a connection, we, we do our, our homework, our research to see, does it make sense? Would we be a good fit? And if we believe that we're a good fit, uh, we're going to fight for it. And and then if there's something they can share with us, like that we need to improve upon, great, love the education. I mean, you know, please share, help us learn how we can be better so that we can work together. You expanded a lot from socks over the years. You now have more than 17,000 products, everything from clothes to windows to diamonds. You even tackle the wedding industry. And your business is estimated to have more than $2 billion in annual sales. What's your strategy to getting into a new product line? Our team is inclusive and our business is very diverse. And it's listening to our customers. I, I tell people I've got the toughest boss in the world. Uh, it really began with women. It now includes men as well. I, I love my boss. And listening to that person and hearing what they want and being anticipatory, seeking to understand what it is even before they do by really having that relationship. What we started our website. We don't sell anything on it, but it was really designed to be a communication channel and a way that we could communicate with and learn from our customer. So let's talk about money for a second. You have been called one of the richest self-made women in the world. So did you ever expect that would be a phrase that would describe you? No, <laughs> I, I didn't. It's, I'm extremely grateful. It's, it's, uh, I work with a, an extraordinary team of people and it is humbling to be able to have the opportunities that we have. So grateful for that. At the same time, when we started with that little pair of socks, uh, the, the team, we talked about the name for the company. The Kathy Ireland part, eh, that wasn't my favorite choice. But the worldwide part, I liked that because that didn't put limits on us. It didn't limit us to one category or one sector. And especially for women, I see that so frequently people will put women in boxes. It happens to guys, too. And I, I, what I say to women and men is please don't let another person's opinion of you define you or destroy you. Don't allow anyone to put you in a box and don't put yourself in one either just because you did. You know, I have people who have said to me, well, you used to model, so you can't do that. You, you can't work in the area of fintech. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's like, excuse, excuse me? <laughs> you know, Let me show you. <laughs> the old job description was shut up and pose. I reject that today. <laughs> and, uh, and that, you know, I love just breaking boundaries. And, uh, and we are a disruptive team. And we love it. We love what we do. How did you learn everything you know? Because you know so much about business and so many different business lines, but you didn't get your MBA. And some people would say, oh, you know, if I didn't have my MBA, I'm not ready to start my own business. What would mm. you say? Well, I barely graduated from high school. And there are lessons all around. Um, Warren Buffett is a mentor. He's so prolific. Anyone can learn today by reading uh, from him, from reading from others they respect and admire 
And when I was 11, I had a paper out. My dad said, Kathy, give 110%. If the customer expects the paper on the driveway, you put it on the front porch. And so that was a foundation of my learning to under-promise and over-deliver. It's the foundation of our business today. When a team member does a great presentation, we say, yeah, you got it on the front porch. (laughs) great. You are still the majority owner of your company. So presumably a lot of your money is tied up in the business. So how do you think about your personal finances? What's your strategy? The the strategy for finances is the same with our business. It's diversification and really keeping our eye on the horizon, being alert and aware to changes and, and having that mix. And there's People have approached me about taking our company public, Mm -hmm. and I understand why people do that, and I I have great respect for so many people who who have made that choice. But I'm a private person, and I enjoy the benefits of having a private company. Wall Street – that needs to see results, mm-hmm. you know, specific results every 90 days. And that impacts the decision-making process. And there are public companies that we work with, and, and I love that. But for this this company that we built, I don't plan to take it public. Would you ever sell the company? I'm not planning on doing that either. I find it sad that so many women have sold their companies and sold their names. How so? And... Uh, so many. And and I don't know why. I don't know exactly what the reason behind it is. But it seems to be much more common than the guys selling their businesses. And, uh, and I, I encourage women to, you know, you build something to fight for it and to hang on to it. And, you know, if you, it's a gift to go through difficult times with people. And all businesses have their ups and downs, but you go through those tough times and you come out stronger. Some women may be selling to get a bigger payday, for example. Right, sure. And good for them. It's wonderful if that's if that's what they're looking for. But there's also something, um, I look at Kate Spade and what, what an amazing business she built. What an incredible person. And um, reading some some stories that she had written about how difficult it was once she did sell. How do you get through those difficult times? Uh, for me, it's my faith. It's my faith and my family, and then and then it's the work. I mean, those are the priorities, and that's what carries me through. So what advice do you give to young entrepreneurs? There's a few things. I mean, I'd say figure out what your values are. Put boundaries in place to protect them because they will be challenged. And uh, know your worth. Know your value. And know what you would walk away for. You know, what, what, what would you be fired for? What would you walk away from? Don't compromise. And um, stand firm. And rejection, it's a gift. And criticism also can be a gift. And I say to listen to it because I've some of the best gifts I've gotten, I don't know if they were intended to be gifts, but... Uh, the long-ago modeling career, shut up and pose, was a job description. <laughs> I had this rare opportunity to speak, and a critic very publicly said I had a voice that could kill small animals. Mm. And I love animals, so <laughs> that was not good. And I had to admit that I was 25 years old, and I couldn't order a pizza on the phone. I had a high voice, and you know they thought I was a kid making a prank phone call. <laughs> And uh, I recognize that, you know, it was a gift. Despite the nasty wrapping, there was a gem in there. 
And so when we get rejection, when we get criticism, I think it's important to listen to it and discern if it's just negativity, we just toss it, throw it away. Or despite the nastiness, is there a gift? Can we grow? How can we get better? So how did you use that gift? I uh, invested in some voice lessons, and I worked on my voice, and I got pizza, and I was very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Kathy. I appreciate you joining us. Oh, thank you so much. If you'd like to hear more of Secrets of Wealthy Women, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite audio provider. If you like us, subscribe, share us on social media, and give us a review. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thank you for listening. The Claude 3 Model Family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com Claude.